0: What a blessing it is to be with you here today, to be reminded of what Brian just shared with us, the, the good news of Jesus, that he came to seek and save the lost like you and I. None of us are privileged in the fact that we've earned this on our own, but we have all the ability uh, to accept Christ and then proclaim him. Let us never forget that he died so that we might live. Jesus also called us to grow out. That's why we're so focused on this. Like Brian said, it's not about numbers. It is about that Jesus has given us this mission to reach the lost with the good news. That he invited us on this greatest rescue mission of all time, and last week we we can see that we're beginning to grow again. Uh, for about two years, the, the growth of souls coming to him, at least uh, publicly, were very minimized and small. Uh, but we are growing out again. Last Sunday at ten forty five, Wyatt Sturgill was uh, immersed and gave his life to Christ. It was made new. Let's praise God for Wyatt. That's awesome. And then last week, during the week, on Thursday afternoon, uh, Dee has been working with Brenda Greenwood for uh, some time and telling uh, her and sharing the gospel, but she was immersed. Look at the joy on Brenda and Dee's face. Let's praise God for that. I, I, I know growth is happening. The idea that the gospel is continuing to be alive and people are responding. And I'm proud of you for being a part of it. If you're a part of the family, we're on this mission together. We're co-workers with Christ. What a great calling to be on mission with him and one another. I see you're getting it in other ways, this idea of growing out. Last week after service... Uh, on the connect card that Dee was just talking about, which we'd love for you to connect with us in some way. But Mackenzie Redow uh, drew a little sermon art. That's what I like to call it. And, and uh, this is what it looked like. And I could see she's getting it. Uh, you know, on, on right there, uh, for one, people, I post this online. They're like, Tyson, she gets it. You put your hand in your pocket and you raise one hand. You know? I didn't know I did that all the time. But what I love more than that is she gets the fact. Right behind me is the cross. And that supplies the hope that changes everything. And then uh, she was able to draw the grow out tree that reminds us we're going to grow out through evangelism. We're going to grow deep through his word and discipleship. And we're going to grow young walking with one. Guys, that's what we're about. We're going to say it a lot, but we want you to get it so it's a natural part of who we are. Uh, our, Our desire is to honor Christ and to go out for him. I saw evidence of growing young last night in the Family Life Center. It was a beautiful thing. It was the blessing banquet. If you have a student in the next few years going to graduate from high school, man, sign them up. Be involved with the blessing banquet. It's a great opportunity uh, where we walk with the next generation as they go from uh, being students to young adults uh, focused on Christ on their own as we uh, bring them up into him. And if you were here last night as a blessing banquet family, man, I'm praying for you. Uh, With graduation coming, if you graduated from GE yesterday, We're praying for you. We're so thankful uh, that our church continues to be young. But here's the challenge to these seniors in college and seniors uh, in high school. Uh, Continue to have somebody that you're walking with that's more mature than you in faith. But also find someone that's slightly behind you in faith and walk with them. And and together we grow young. Uh, I I love the the emphasis put on that. But I've got to be real. Today is a lot about fear or at least unknown when we first hear from God or from a friend or a pastor that God calls us once we're saved to go out for him it's intimidating if not fearful I would say all of us at times get a little bit uh overwhelmed when we realize that we're to speak on the behalf of Christ we're, we're to we're to start conversations about our faith It can be scary, it can bring fear. Uh, The scary thing is though, how much will we go out of our way to avoid that uncomfortable and even sometimes awkward moment? And in that it becomes awkward. I'm gonna show a little clip right now of how far sometimes we as Christians go out of our way to avoid the awkward conversation with spirituality and, and we kind of make fools of ourselves. Watch this. We've given Ted the choice to be a good friend and invite his neighbor Rick to church or tend a colony of angry bees. What'll it be, Ted? I choose the bees, Carl. All righty, Ted. Precise and slow movements discourage the fear pheromone in the queen bee. So I just pulled this out to inspect the bees? Bingo. Uh, you're gonna wanna avoid making direct eye contact? These little guys view that as an act of aggression. You know, once the colony begins to swarm, you know, Ted, are you sweating? (laughs) I have a condition! Wish you would have disclosed this earlier. Bees interpret sweat as hostility. (laughs) They're in my pants! They're in my pants! They're in my pants! They're in my pants! Stand down! Stand down! Get in there, Betty. Stand down. Hey, Eric. You want to go to church with me? Yeah. Yeah, why don't we uh, swing by the hospital first? That'd be real nice. <laughs> All joking aside, I wonder how much we go out of our way sometimes to avoid what we think is going to be a scary situation, talking to a friend about Jesus. Or as simple as inviting him to church or... Or, or over for a conversation. Guys, it's not only awkward how far we go, it's, it's dangerous, especially for the lost person. Uh, all joking aside, we need to, to, to understand and be committed to the reality that if our friends, if our neighbors, if the people we come into contact in the world don't hear the good news of Jesus, they're dying and forever will spend eternity apart from God in hell. And we are on mission to share the hope that we have in Jesus, that he died so that we might live. That's for everyone. Without the good news of Jesus, there is no hope. Man, it's so important for everyone to know Jesus. I was reminded of that this week with the tragic loss of Darla Pryor Sanders. How many of you knew Darla in the family? Many of you did. Most of you. She grew up in the church. I heard stories of Carla and Darla standing probably right here singing a duet at the age of four. Twins declaring their love for Jesus. First service is blessed with the senior saints of our church right now. Man, they have been there. They they have led it. And I ask, how many of them had a part of Darla's growing up in the faith? Starting with their mom and dad who were here this morning, sat right over here. Mom and dad made it a priority to tell them about Jesus, the girls. I said, How many of you uh, maybe taught Darla in Sunday school or a camp, church camp, or vacation Bible school? Or maybe you just had a personal conversation as a friend uh, about your love for Jesus. Or maybe you sang in the choir with her, or you went on a mission trip. And you know what? I asked people to raise their hand. And I, I would guess there were uh, 50 to 60 people that had a personal, intimate relationship with Darla, pointing her to Jesus. I'm so thankful that starting with her parents and many of you as well uh, had uh, something that uh, your lives intersected and you shared the gospel uh, with one another. And because of that, while it is a tragedy that she's no longer with us, we can celebrate because she lives. Amen. So we don't have to be overwhelmed. Let's pray for them right now. Father in heaven, we lift up the Sanders family to you right now and the extended family. Be with the church uh, family as well, loved ones and friends who, this doesn't make sense to us, but we we thank you for the good news of Jesus that she accepted as a child and was made new and was reborn and now lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I I bring that up not only uh, to pray for the family, but to show you the importance. It would be much different if we got the news that, that Darla had passed and all of us knew her and she had never responded to the good news of Jesus. And we're on this mission as co-workers of Christ to share that good news with others. People like her, we do it for the sake of other Darlas and boys by the name of Dan and and girls by the name of Susie and and Sams all around the world. We we do it for everyone. That's why the church exists. A friend of mine shared this quote from C.S. Lewis at the beginning of this series almost a month ago now. He's like, man, Tyson, this is what we're talking about. And then strangely enough, about a week later, it was in the book I've been reading through that I've been getting a lot of inspiration from from this. Uh, this is a quote from C.S. Lewis that reminds us of our mission. It says this, the church exists for nothing else but to draw men into Christ. This is talking about all humans, men and women, to make them little Christ. This is a vocabulary of C.S. Lewis. He's basically saying to make everyone a follower of Christ, a, a child of God. If they aren't doing that, all the cathedrals, clergy, missions, sermons, even the Bible itself is simply a waste of time. Those are strong words. God became man for no other purpose. God became man in the form of Jesus so that we might be able to have our sins washed away, removed because of what he's done for us. Jesus did not come here so we could have a better family life in and of itself. Jesus did not come here so we would know how to properly worship. Jesus, first and foremost, came to save us from our sins. And because of that, he had to become human so that he could die, so that he might be raised to new life. That's the mission we're called to. Jesus stepped out of his comfortable place, his powerful position at the right hand of God, to save us from our sins, to die in our place. That is the attitude and actions that we're to have in our lives, that that we would step out to serve, that we would uh, leave our uh, position to even sacrifice for others. And you're like, is that true? American church has for a long time kind of had the mindset that we're here to To grow together, to be comfortable, to make sure we can survive. While there is a great strength in us being here together today to grow, our call is to grow here, to be encouraged here, and to go out with the good news. Really? This is is what the Word of God says. Look what it says in Philippians 2. In your relationships with one another, have the same attitude as Christ Jesus, who being the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage, Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. That's the attitude we're supposed to have. Those are the actions that our attitudes lead us to, that we would serve and sacrifice so that others might be saved. Jesus put it this way, in his own words, in Mark 10. For even the Son of Man came to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is talking to people here, and he said, Hey, you, you're, you're missing the point. Even the Son of Man came to give his life up. But what's the context of that? Let's look into, into the scriptures. Turn with me to Mark chapter 10 to see where Jesus says these words that I'm going to give my life as a ransom for many. Uh, we, we, well, we a lot of times think he's talking to the world, and they just don't get it. The last two weeks, we focused on Jesus uh, speaking parables. Kind of pushing back against the religious leaders, the teachers of the law. You know, they were the guys that were judging him, eating with the sinners and tax collectors. That they were those that would stand off at a distance and judge Jesus for being with those that are lost. But in Mark chapter 10, we see Jesus not talking to the religious leaders, but to the disciples. To the same guys that Brian just mentioned, These, these 12 men at this time who had dedicated their life to follow Jesus to be trained by him, and they're missing the point. Look at this passage. It's going to be in Mark chapter 10, starting with verse 35. If you've got a Bible around you that you want to pick up, it's on page 847. 846 is where it starts. Look what it says And James and John, these are two of the disciples, the sons of Zebedee, so they're brothers. Came up to him, Jesus, and said to Jesus, Teacher, what, excuse me, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Pause right here for a second. They go up to Jesus and they say, Jesus, we really want you to do whatever we say. You talk about needing an adjustment right here. They're coming up to God in the flesh and saying, We want you to do what we want. But how often does that the way your prayers start? How often do we come before God and say, God, this is really what I would like to see happen today. This is what I'd like for my children to be able to do today. This is who I would like to have healed today. And, and while a lot of those prayers have extreme value, this, this attitude uh, coming before the Father without uh, understanding his purpose, uh, we, we get distracted much like them and say, Oh, Jesus, here's what we would like you to do for us. I find it interesting what they say. Look at verse 36. And he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? I love the fact Jesus, who had just left the throne of, of God, beside God in heaven, and says, okay, what, what do you need? And they said to him, grant us to set, one at your right hand and one at the left hand, in glory. Notice this. They've been talking a lot about what we've been dealing with this month. Uh, we've been talking about we just can't sit in our comfortable pews and want everything to be perfect. We, we've got to go out. And bring back others and sacrifice for them. And yet these guys are asking this question, Jesus, we want to set. They're basically saying, we want the power that you possess. We want to be comfortable. Jesus, please let us just set here. Is that what Jesus called us to? Absolutely not. But yet that's what they're asking. Uh, Look what it says going on. Jesus says this in verse 38. You do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? Jesus saying, do you, do you really want to drink the cup I'm about to drink? You remember Jesus in the garden says, hey, let this cup pass from me. He's talking about the cross, being crucified, dying uh, for God's will. And he says, do you really want this? Or can you be baptized with the baptism with which I'm baptized? And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. All of these men end up dying for their faith other than Judas who killed himself after Betraying Jesus. And with the baptism which I'll be baptized, you'll be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or my left is not for me to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. Now, wait a second. Don't miss this. The other ten disciples heard James and John's request, and they got a little frustrated. They're like, I can't believe those guys asked if they could sit with Jesus. You know why they were mad? Not because they had higher theological minds than this. They wanted to sit there. Sometimes we we see people praying for certain things, we see people blessed in certain ways, and we get frustrated just like these disciples because that's, by golly, what we wanted. They had no idea really what was being asked. Look at verse 42. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those... Who are considered rulers of the Gentiles, Lord over them, and their great ones exercise authorities over them. But it shall not be with you. But whoever would be great among you must first be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of all, must be the, the sacrifice of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So that's the context of this. It's these disciples, the people closest to you, saying, We want to just sit and relax. And Jesus says, here's where I'm going. I'm going out to serve. I'm going to die. Jesus is giving them fair warning that what's to come, but it's going to be worth it. I want to warn you today. It's not easy. I want to give you fair warning. There'll be tough times following Christ. There'll be tough times going out, but it's worth it. When you come into a family like Darla Sanders and you know that she had been saved by the blood of Jesus, it was worth the investment of the church. You know, I've been on the other side of this more times than I like to admit. Uh, families come to me and there is no hope. It breaks my heart. People that you know, people you come in contact with every day, it's not going to be easy. Are you prepared to walk with Jesus? And I pray you say, I am. It's worth it. Reminds me of another story from World War II the historical story of, that we've seen depicted in, in the, the book and the TV show, Band of Brothers. It's a great, inspiring message. But during uh, the Battle of the Bulge, the Easy Company was in fierce fighting day after day after day. Uh, Many of them were overwhelmed. The company, uh, history tells us, they were kind of divided. And there was a a, a space between uh, the two parts of the company and and much of the enemy. And it was known as the no-man's land. I used to play games and be like, hey, don't go into no-man's land. This is where the concept comes from, from real battle. Easy Company was separated, and there was this no-man's land in between. And for days they were pinned down, and their lieutenant had kind of lost heart. His name was Lieutenant Dyke. He was frozen with fear, didn't know what to move, didn't know what to do. The commanders uh, above him knew that that there was a moment here where the the easy company was either going to have to move out or it was going to be overwhelmed and just destroyed. And they saw a a break in in what the enemy was doing, and, and they knew today was the day to move. Instructions came to Lieutenant Dyke to move the Easy Company out to attack, but he couldn't move. So with a few hours, the upper command uh, reached this message from a new lieutenant, Lieutenant Ronald Spears, and said, you need to relieve Lieutenant Dyke and you need to take over. Within, a minute, uh, or within minutes of Lieutenant Spears taking over the Easy Company, he came up with a plan. It was to unite the entire company, but many of them were over on the other side, and, the, uh, and No Man's Land was in between, where they would take a, a large amount of fire. And so instead of sending a, a lower-ranking officer or someone out to do that messaging, he decided to run across No Man's Land himself to talk to the other part of the company that was pinned down. And he gave them instructions at his command. They would all uh, rush out and go out. And and after he told them that, he went back to the, the main area the company was. And he set up the plan. And in his command, they were about ready to move out. And all of his soldiers under his command were greatly inspired by the fact that he was willing to go out back and forth to organize the cry. And as he put the cry out to go into battle... Everyone was tremendously inspired, and they overtook the enemy forces, and they won that battle that day. A big turning point in the war. It was very risky, but it was worth it. Many of you may be thinking, man, it's scary out in no man's land. I've been in no man's land. This is like a safe territory here. We're encouraging. We're strengthening one another. We're in God's word. We're praying for one another. But we're to go out into the world with the gospel. It's risky, but it's worth it. I want to remind you, though, it's not as risky as sometimes we make it out to be. I want to remind you that 75% of your friends are willing to talk to you about Jesus. So what do you do? You need to develop great friendships. Take a, take a baby step in telling your story of your faith. Uh, let a friend know why you have hope. Tell them something you're excited about your child or grandchild doing or what your parents have done or what the church is doing on a mission trip or the fact that a friend of yours gave their life to Christ. Tell your friend uh, about why you have hope and why you're excited. But it takes time. You've got to plant seeds of spiritual growth. Farmers, if you haven't noticed, have figured out how to produce a harvest This time of year, man, they plant the seeds. Uh, Roughly, if you're in a cornfield and and there's an acre of ground, they plant about thirty thousand to maybe thirty-six thousand seeds per acre to produce an amazing harvest. And they're serious about that. Now, every chance they get, they're out planting. We need to be praying for our farmers. They have, uh, under God's grace and blessings, have produced uh, great amounts of food to sustain our nation and our world. They know how to make harvest. I love harvest around farming, but you got to plant. I wonder if you've been planting spiritual seeds. A farmer also realizes how many days it takes to maturity. Corn is a little over 100 days, often maybe 115. And and we realize that that we do this and we're going to get this harvest. In a spiritual harvest, it's not such a scientific, just exact method. Sometimes it takes a long time, but you still want to plant. While I love harvest, I, I also love tending what God's growing. Most recently, I've been talking to this amazing lady from Highland. For about a month now, I've been introduced to her. She has been watching from a distance for a long time. She is just about ready to be baptized, and she's been talking about joining the church. I thought maybe it was this weekend, but she's not able to be here. So maybe it's next weekend. I'm like, hey, I'm ready for another harvest. I get impatient sometimes, but we've got to remember we've got to keep planting the seeds and keep tending the soil, keep praying, and God will be the one that makes it grow. I also need you to know the rest of the story for this lady from Highland. A friend of mine, a member of this church, probably a friend of yours, for the last 30 years in this woman's life has been planting seeds. For 30 years, these two women have been sharing life together, work together, uh, talking to, uh, about family, ups and downs together. And just recently, she has told her friend that goes to church here, I want to be baptized. And that's where I came in, to, to, to share in the harvest. But I'm so thankful that that friend of hers, for 30 years, has been planting seed after seed after seed. Man, I, I praise God for that. I was sharing this story with the elders and we were just talking, what, what is it about all that time and what we need to do to plant the seeds? It starts with relationships. And I'm going to share with you these things today real quickly of things we can do uh, to help be able to plant seeds and produce a harvest that will help you be in a position where you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be a pastor. You don't have to have some uh, special uh, training, but you can do these things each and every one of us and begin to move towards a harvest for God. It starts in that relationship. It starts by caring for that person, meeting their needs. It starts in real conversations. Sometimes it starts with, with things of arguments and debate. It starts by being vulnerable and pointing to Jesus. One of the elders a couple weeks ago said, it also is very good when you leave a stone in their shoe. I don't know if you've ever heard of this, but, but it's this concept when you insert something in that person's life in a conversation and you just kind of leave it there for them to ponder, for them to, to think about, and they can't let it go. They can't, they can't forget it. It could be a question about, hey, what, what are you going to do for an eternity? Uh, how, how do you uh, plan to spend the rest of your life? Um, it could be anything that lets them wonder and, and think. It could be something about Jesus. Don't get me wrong. I love the harvest. Last week, uh, being able to immerse Wyatt into his new life in Christ was was amazing. It doesn't get any better than that. But God is looking for uh, time and time again, while the harvest may or may not be there, to keep planting seeds, keep asking questions. And God makes it grow. It's biblical. In 1 Corinthians 3, Paul says this, I planted the seed in your hearts. He's talking to the church. Apollos watered it, but God's the one who made it grow. We're going to grow out by planting seeds and putting pebbles in people's shoes to get them to think. By the way, if you're not a follower of Jesus, uh, like uh, um, C.S. Lewis said, if you're not a, a little Christ, if you're not a follower of Christ yet, I hope there's been some spiritual seeds planted in your life today. Maybe it's through one of the worship songs. Maybe it was in communion, the realization that we share communion because Jesus died and allowed his body to be broken, his blood to be shed. Maybe it's in this idea that that if someday when you die, that if you're not prepared uh, to uh, allow Jesus to take away your sins, your hope is not secure. I pray that there's been some spiritual seeds planted. In fact, I pray that you've been a little irritated. Maybe there's a pebble that I put in your shoe. You're like, I can't believe Tyson actually thinks that I need Jesus. Because I do. Not so you could be religious, so that you'd have a relationship with him that saves you. I pray that something, whether it's a seed or a pebble, gets you thinking. So so wonder what's next. Maybe you got a friend that's thinking, what do you do next? From what I found, it's a lot like that lady from Highland, it takes time. And often what comes next is questions. Keep the conversation going, Uh, keep growing out by listening to people's questions. See, you may have thought you were the one going to be asking questions. I would encourage you, as a person sharing the gospel, looking uh, to share the hope of Jesus, be ready to have them ask questions of you. Be ready to listen to their questions. It's a lot what Jesus did. Jesus did all the time. Instead of just sharing uh, in a conversation and giving all the right answers, which he had them, he would often ask a question to keep the conversation going. Here's a great model question. Ask the person, what do you mean by that? Let's say you share a truth about what you know, and they say something that you don't understand. Instead of just giving them the answer that you would think that you would want to know, ask them, what do you mean by that? What are you really thinking? What's on your heart? Uh, and continue the conversation. Here's another question or a thing you should do. Instead of quickly jumping into an answer and giving that right Answer that you think that that you should know and they should know, and often killing the conversation, be slow and just slow down. Here's the the reality, how it usually happens. Let's say you're having a conversation, all of a sudden your friend says something that you know is wrong that you actually know goes against with what the Bible says. Instead of saying, Boy, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard, let me show you what the Bible says which we do sometimes, maybe not with the same words, but with our actions, with our language, slow down and say, hey, well, I don't understand where really you're going. What, what, how did you come to that conclusion? Let's look at what God's word says about that, or let's, let's, let's think about that for a moment. Instead of jumping uh, off the cliff and saying, you're wrong and I'm right, and that being over, ask them, how did you come to that conclusion? And study it together. We've got to remember we're planting seeds more than harvesting all the time. Remember, we don't have to save someone in five minutes of conversation, but it's often a lifetime of relationship together. Hopefully it doesn't take 30 years, but it often takes more than three minutes. you got to understand this. You may not hit a home run in day number one of a relationship with someone, but at least you're in the batter's box. Boy, I've hit a few home runs in my life. I can count them on definitely two hands. But I'd love to go up the batter's box one more time and play a real game. You, in a relationship with someone, and you, in a conversation with someone, are always looking for the point where you can hit a home run, but you've always got to be planting the seeds. We've got to be growing out with the gospel. And here's the bottom line. We have these conversations. We ask questions. We listen, uh, always looking for the the opportunity to tell them about Jesus and what he's done for them. It may come the first day. It it may be 10 years down the road, but we've got to grow out by sharing the gospel. That's what it's all about. There's where our hope is. Look what Peter tells the church in the book of 1 Peter, a letter to the church. He says, worship Christ as the Lord of your life. So he says, everything you do, make it to give glory to God. There will be a time when people start asking questions. Look, and if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. Always be ready to give an answer. But do this in in a gentle and respectful way. Don't be like, hey, I always wondered why i go to church. It was like, yeah, because I'm going to heaven and you're not. That's not the way to answer that question. Be ready to give a, a gentle and respectful answer to the good news. Don't start with big words like transfiguration and sanctification and words that D and I don't even know what they are. Uh, don't try to uh, think you have to have all the answers, but just point them to Jesus. Tell them the, the good news. I, I want to give you five words to help you tell the story, the outline of the good news. The first is this. In the beginning, God. God. In the very beginning, God is the one who designed all this, put us in a a perfect world, and gave us an ability to have a relationship with him. And he made mankind, male and female he made them. And we were in this great relationship. And we can be in a relationship, but every time we rebel and we sin, that relationship is broken. And there's consequences for that. So he sent Jesus, his own son, to be our sacrifice. He lived a perfect life. He was set apart for one reason, to take care of our sin problem and to die on the cross, uh, taking on our punishment, taking on our condemnation, uh, being separated from God himself, and he died on that cross. The Bible says he actually became sin. He became my sin and your sin so that we might be saved. But three days later, there was a resurrection, and he came back to life from the dead, the victor over both sin and death. And what anyone believes about Jesus and his resurrection from the dead, it, is, uh, it directly correlates to them being their Savior and their Lord and where they'll spend eternity. That is the good news, that God so loved us that he made us in relationship with him. And we sinned, and Jesus was sent to die for our place. And he lives, and we, when we make him Lord, we can live as well. Now, there's so much more you could put into that story, but that is the good news. And you can all share some form of that. It doesn't have to be fearful. It's easier than playing with a swarm of bees, okay? It's easier than going to your boss for a raise. It's easier to go into your wife and tell her you made a big mistake. I promise, uh, this truth is good news that people want to hear. And it starts with relationships, it starts with questions, it starts with uh, putting a stone in their shoe to get them to ponder. But we also have to be real, salvation not only centers on Jesus, Is it the center. Jesus is the only source of salvation. Our world doesn't like to hear that right now. People might come to you though, they come to me as a pastor like, well, so and so, this is that, and you know, is there really only one way to heaven? Do we really have to trust Jesus? And the answer is Yes. Jesus is the only source of salvation. Remember those guys Brian were talking about uh, that were so fearful when Jesus first died and they were scattered? These same guys, look what happens to them in Acts chapter uh, 4 once they uh, get refocused on Jesus and the Holy Spirit comes on them. Here's what they say. Peter says, salvation is found in no one else. For there's no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Man, they make this bold statement. Look what the people say. When the people, when they saw the courage of Peter and John, they realized they were, they were unschooled and ordinary men. And they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. What I love about this story and about the story of these guys being fearful once and then the church being founded on their testimony, the gospel that Jesus is the way, the truth, and life. You know what I like about it? They're like you and I. They're ordinary, average people that grew up in a rural area, probably a lot like Bond County, that knew all about planting seeds and and pointing to Jesus, and they, they changed the world, and so can you, as ordinary, unschooled, average people. But you know what the educated world and the world is trying to to dismiss us with right now? <laughs> Brian mentioned it just a moment ago. Satan is always looking for some other way to slow down us going out. This message I just told you about that Jesus is the only way has been labeled as narrow-minded. It's being labeled as intolerant and exclusive, inappropriate, Bigoted for whatever it may be. It's been labeled of all these things, but, but the truth is the truth. And Jesus, while people say it's an exclusive way to heaven, it is completely inclusive. Everyone who calls on him and gives their life to him will be saved. And we've got to grow out planting that seeds, asking questions and sharing the gospel. It's completely inclusive. Jesus said this in John three sixteen and 17. For God so loved the world, that includes everyone, that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever, whoever, whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. Jew and Greek, slave and free, male and female, black and white. American, non-American, Republican, and Democrat. Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save it through him. We're to be planting seeds with everyone. Listening and having conversation. And any chance we get to share with them the gospel, explain it. With gentleness and fully. There was a pastor in Germany... In the early turn of the century that was committed to the gospel, his name was Dietrich Bonhoeffer in 1933, at the age of 27, uh, the German culture, the, the machine that, that we know that created uh, so much havoc uh, right before World War II, uh, had made a new law, and, and it was called the Aryan Paragraph, where they proclaimed to the German culture that if you were a Jewish in any way, uh, of any lineage of Jewish connection, you could not be a leader in that in that nation, uh, not in the government, not in the healthcare industry, and not especially in the church because they viewed the church, no matter what kind of church it was, a part of the government. And the government declared that if you were Jew, you couldn't be a leader. Well, Bonhoeffer had had some Jewish people that converted to Christianity within his church and they were leaders for him. And the government said, Hey, I know they're important to you, they're part of the church, you, they can't be leaders of you anymore. The vast majority of the German population and church pastors of that day went along with it. But Bonhoeffer realized in a, in a moment's notice that, that any time that you say a certain group of people is not able to be leader, you devalue that people. And Bonhoeffer said, Jesus died for everyone and everyone has the same amount of value. Amen? That's true. But the government kept pushing on him, you can't allow Jews to have any special place in your church. And days went by and he kept making stances. He understood the great danger of devaluing life, and he was convinced that God's church, everyone was equal. And Jesus died for all people. Bonhoeffer took a stand and he declared uh, uh, day after day that he would not stand for such a law within his church. He, in fact, said this He said, I can't stay silent. Silence in the face of evil is in itself evil. That's still true today. If anyone is ever devalued based on race, gender, economic background, uh, based on anything the world can say, they have less value. It is evil and we can't stand for that. But, but von Hoffer, uh, Bonhoeffer didn't just stop there. He continued to proclaim Christ when the government tried to get him to be quiet. He says this. He said that no culture or evil of this world can tell us how we honor Christ. in fact, said this, we must shake off the fear of this world. The cause of Christ is at stake. Will we be found sleeping? And he kept proclaiming that truth. The cause of Christ is too great. Everyone is valuable. Uh, Christ came to save everyone. Uh, I will not rest uh, and be idle even for a day when this evil is going out. And that evil kept going out. And World War II broke out. And uh, Bonhoeffer continued to to proclaim the truth of Christ. And in 1945, based on his beliefs and conviction that all people have an ability to be saved and valued through Christ, under Hitler's direct orders, he was put to death for his faith. He knew the cost was going to be severe. He knew that if he would just change his tune and go along with the government, that he would, his life would be spared. But I believe, much like that young lieutenant who ran out to no man's land, Bonhoeffer running out with the declaration that Christ and his love for people is more value, valuable than any government law, uh, saved thousands. Because he inspired many to stand up for what's right. He asks of us, will you be found sleeping or will you shake off the fear of the world for the cause of Christ? Will you shake off the fear of talking to your friend and tell them about the gospel? Will you shake off the fear of the world when they, when they try to limit our message and say, well, we've got to be inclusive. It can't just be about Jesus. It is all about Jesus. Will we go to bath for him for the sake of Christ's cause as his coworkers and share the message of Jesus with a friend? Today, maybe you're here, that stone's been in your shoe long enough, you're, you're ready to give your life to Jesus. Maybe you're here today and you realize it's time for you to go out and meet the needs of a friend and tell them about Jesus who loved them enough to die for them. The only thing we can't do is not move. Let's move for Jesus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, inspire us. We know that power that was in the disciples, that was in Bonhoeffer, uh, through the Holy Spirit is in us. Lord, let us know that power is to move us to honor you and to spread your good news, the hope that changes everything. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Stand with us and sing.